morning, Grace Life. All of those that you can uh, that I can see and that I can't see because of the video feed, welcome. Um, thank you, Kyle. You'll see up there. I guess I can see up there that you can see that um, there's the QR code. If you take your phone out and open your photo camera app and point it at that, you will come up with the screen that looks like that phone. It has our scripture reading for today. It has how to give uh, your tithes and offerings. It has uh, the blog that uh, Tommy writes and that Matt wrote. And Matt told you that it was, what was your word um, last week? Riveting, riveting. So hopefully you all read that about being members of the, of the church, the riveting blog that Matt wrote last week. So go there and um, you can learn all you need to learn. So I, too, listened to the radio this week after. Last week, Tommy sang Joy to the World to us. I heard that Blake Shelton called him up. He wants him to try out for The Voice. Not really sure if that's true or not. But I paid attention to the words of Christmas carols. And, I, you know, it's amazing that I think probably everybody in here can sing at least the first verse of any Christmas carol we would put up there. You know, you might not remember where you put your keys, but you can sing the first verse of every one of those. And I think sometimes we don't pay attention. And I just, there were two that I listened to that I just was kind of like blown away if I paid attention to the words. So hopefully I want you to pay attention to the words this next week. One of them was O Holy Night. And it was O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And I was just like, does our soul only feel worth after Jesus appears to us? Maybe. I think we should think about that. And I also thought a lot about Joy to the World, maybe just because Tommy sang it and his voice is so awesome. I don't know. But he said, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Oh, if that would only happen, that'd be awesome. The next line is, let every heart prepare him room. So I just want to ask you today, have you prepared in your heart room for him? I hope so. I hope so. And just, I know there's people maybe that, you know, there's a difference between joy and happiness, and there's maybe people that have bad circumstances and maybe not joyful, but I think we're joyful because what Jesus promised to do for us and what he's already done for us, and so we should have that underlying joy. And for those of us who maybe don't have that happiness, um, I'm just thinking that the Grace Life welcome that we do every week um, maybe fits towards this a little bit. So when it comes up, I'll read it because I don't have it memorized. Interesting enough, we used to do this. I moved from Indiana four years ago. We did the same um, thing at the beginning of church where I went to church in Indiana. So to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So you are welcome no matter how you're coming. So Matt is going to uh, talk to us this morning. So I hope you're excited about that, as I am. I know he spoke once, way before COVID here, way, you were just a child then, I'm sure. Um, but I'm excited to, that we get to hear him again this morning. And the uh, verses, that the scripture verse that he is, I hope, talking about, <laughs> is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. So you can follow along with me. I guess you can read it out of your own Bible, I guess, if you have that open or off your phone. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I'd just like to challenge you to prepare your heart to hear the word from Matt. Good morning. Thank you, Craig. Um, like he said, my name is Matt Carr. Uh, if I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I really hope I get the chance to. So please stop me after the service. I would love to connect with you. And uh, it's my privilege to serve as the discipleship pastor here at Grace Life. And uh, this week when Tommy was asking me to preach for him, he said, you know, as a discipleship pastor, why don't you uh, preach on discipleship? And I said, to be honest with you, Tommy, I agreed to this position without even knowing what discipleship means, but uh, I'll be more than happy to find out for you. Uh, so here we are. Um, I'm just kidding, a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully today is not about what I think about discipleship, but about what Jesus teaches about discipleship. Um, before we get started, I'm going to pray um, just to settle our focus on God, the main character of this story, of my story and your story. Um, so let's pray. God, you are here. You are here in this room. You say that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are here among us, God. May your presence change us. May we not ignore you, but may we lean into that reality that you are here and that you love us and you want to teach us from your word. So God, settle our hearts, center our focus on you and you alone, Father. Thank you for your gospel, for your kindness and your love towards us. May we abide in you. May you show us what it means to be your disciples, God. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's kind of perfect that Craig read joy to the world. Because one question I, I had for us this morning was, do we feel that joy? Do you feel the joy to the world right now? Do you feel hev heaven and nature singing? It is Christmas time. There's magic in the air. I'm kind of known for being obsessed with Christmas a little bit, to be honest. So do you feel the fun and the laughter and the magic in the air? Or is the Christmas season more stressful, more about too many parties to go to, too many to-do lists to get done? Or are you dreading the awkward family dynamics around the holiday table? Everybody has a weird uncle, okay? And if you don't, you are the weird uncle. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just how it is. So maybe the holiday season is not so much filled with joy. Maybe for you it's a, a season where you are acutely aware of, of loved ones you've lost in the past. And this is a sad season, which is difficult to get through. You don't feel the joy. You don't feel the fun and magic in the air because it's... It's uh, a unique time of grieving, loss. Or how about this? Maybe it's, let's forget Christmas season. Let's say you're, you're driving to work on a random Tuesday morning, and you know there's a full day ahead of you, full of things to do. It's stressful. It's full. In your car on your way to work, are you experiencing the joy of the Lord? Are you basking in God's love like Tommy's been preaching about in Romans 5? Or in your mind, are you already at work? even though your body's stuck in the car. Or how about this? It's, it's a random Thursday afternoon, and it's already been a long week. You've got three screaming kiddos in the back seat. They all have to be dropped off at three different places for who knows what reason, and you're already 20 minutes behind. 
Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord in that moment? I mean, right? Is, is the joy of the Lord just a Sunday thing for us? Or is it every day of the week? Is low-grade, persistent anxiety just your, has that become just your normal level of operation? Do you feel exhausted all the time? Just always on the edge of burnout? Maybe if you are bubbling over with these unwanted and even unhealthy symptoms, maybe it's not time to do better and try harder. Maybe it's not time to just white-knuckle it and push your way through. Maybe it's not time to go sola bootstrapsa, as Jeff Eckert likes to say, pulling pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Maybe it's not time to do those things. Maybe it is time to check your source. Where are those symptoms coming from? Are you suffering from hurry sickness, too busy and distracted to, to have any joy? Are you suffering from worry sickness? Maybe it's time we check our source, which is what brings us to John 15. So I'll just set the scene really quick. Jesus and his disciples here in John 15, they have just celebrated the first Lord's Supper or communion in the upper room. Jesus has washed their feet. He knelt down as their servant, made them clean. He has promised them his Holy Spirit. What he's doing, he's preparing them for his departure. He keeps telling them, I'm about to leave. They don't want to believe him. He says, I'm leaving. I'm sending you my helper. This is the things you need to know before I go. This is the night before Jesus' death. So in this passage in John 15, many scholars and Bible teachers believe this is one of the most clear and concise areas where Jesus teaches us about what it means to follow him. He's teaching us about discipleship. What does it look like for us to follow somebody who's not here with us physically? So let's dive in to John chapter 15. I'll read verse 1 again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So the truth about discipleship starts with a truth about Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am blank seven different times. They're called the I am statements. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the last one in the Gospel of John. I am the true vine. And each of these statements simply reveal a new aspect of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And notice here, he doesn't say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And whenever we have to uh, qualify that something's true or real, you know there's a fake or a fraud out there somewhere, right? It's kind of like uh, if you've seen the movie Elf, there's the real Santa Claus, and then there's the fake guy at the mall who smells like beef and cheese, right? <laughs> Jesus is not the beef and cheese vine, okay? He's the true vine. The beef and cheese vine is actually the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God refers to the, the, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, as his vine, and he wants them to bear fruit. But despite all of God's love and care and grace and long-suffering and patience, they never could quite produce the fruit he was looking for. They couldn't produce the love and mercy and justice and kindness that God was looking for. So Jesus is telling us, I'm the true vine. I'm the real thing. God is starting over with me. I will be the obedient one, and I can bear the fruit that God is looking for. He says, I am the true vine. So the truth about discipleship starts with the truth about Jesus. He is the true vine. Now, what is the truth about discipleship? So just a a basic workshop definition based on John 15. What is discipleship? Let's define our terms. Discipleship is experiencing the joy of unity with Jesus through the practice of abiding. Experiencing the joy of unity with Jesus through the practice of abiding. So if you've been around church for a while, you know the word disciple. You might think, I thought it meant a follower, a learner, someone who obeys. That is all true. And packed into that word abiding are all of those realities. 
We are followers. We are learners. We obey God's commands. We go on mission. All of those things are packed into the reality of abiding. But the reason we abide is because we can't do any of those things on our own. As Jesus makes very clear here in John chapter 15, we can only do those things. We can only follow and obey and love him if we are connected to the right source. So Jesus' teaching on discipleship breaks down into three uh, aspects or phases, if you will. There's the why of discipleship. Jesus tells us straight up why he's teaching these things. Then there's the what do we do? What is discipleship? And then how do we do what it is we're supposed to do? So the why, the what, and the how. And we're going to start with the why. The why of discipleship. We're doing things a little bit differently. I'm going to read the last verse in this passage, and then we'll work our way back through. So I'm going to read verse 11 again. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus gives us the frame for the whole passage right here at the end. The reason I want to start here is because I know for me personally, and I have a feeling I'm not alone, anytime the topic of discipleship or following Jesus faithfully comes up, it is so easy for me to become solely focused on, on my outward behavior, on what I'm producing. Uh, I become self-righteous, self-justifying. I become a fruit inspector. I, uh, I start weighing everything good against everything bad that I do. And I focus on all these outward things while completely ignoring the source of it all. So I want to start here because I think it's incredibly important to know the heart of Jesus as he's teaching these things. And honestly, some of these verses in my Christian walk have been extremely intimidating. Like, read verse 2. Read the first part of verse 2. Check this out. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Or how about verse 6? If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's a little bit scary. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I become a fruit inspector. But guess what? The heart of Jesus here is actually to fuel our joy. He's not trying to bully us into obedience in John, in John chapter 15. We can rip certain verses here out of context, and they can become intimidating and burdensome. But the heart of Jesus, he wants to fuel our joy. And there's two types of joy he wants to give us. He, look at verse 11. He says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants to give us his joy, and he wants to fill up our joy. And let me tell you, God is full of joy. Did you know that? Check this out. Zephaniah. Yes, that is a book in the Bible. I forget to. I know. It's a weird one. It's a weird name. If you have the name Zephaniah, I'm sorry. Just kidding. It's a great name. Zephaniah 317. Look at the joy of the Lord. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you know that's how God feels about his people? He has joy. He has joy over us. And he wants to take that joy and instill it into our hearts so that our joy may be full. So the why of discipleship, joy, but also security. Throughout this passage, Jesus wants to give us security in him. Look at verse 2 again, where he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. But look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You know this passage would actually flow a little bit smoother if you just took verse 3 out of it. It's almost like, so Jesus says, you know, any branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. I can almost see the disciples there with Jesus. They hear that and they start getting a little nervous, right? It's like, oh man. They start looking at each other. Are we about to get, you know, like a stern talking to here? What's going on? And Jesus, in verse 3, it's like he takes a quick time out, 
And he says, don't worry, you're already clean. He says, you're good. I've already spoken the word over you. You're clean. Jesus is reminding his disciples, he's already washed their feet. He's already promised them his Holy Spirit. It's like he's referring back to John chapter 6 where he says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, I got you. You're with me, you're clean. He gives them a blanket of security. There's other aspects of security woven in this passage as well. Jesus promises in verse 4 to abide in the disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's, it's kind of a weird setup. It almost sounds like he's commanding himself to abide in his disciples. And we know that Jesus will keep that command. So it's a promise. He promises them, I will abide in you. In verse 9, Jesus declares his love for the disciples. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. And let me tell you, that is a deep, rich, never-ending love that we will never plumb the depths of fully. That's how Jesus loves his disciples. So there's security in verse 3. There's joy in verse 11. They serve as comforting parentheses around this passage. That's why I want to start with the why. The final why of discipleship is for the glory of God the Father. As in verse 8, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, when you hear the word prove in that verse, don't think of it as much as us proving ourselves, but we are proven. We are shown to be, we are revealed to be his disciples. It's like when, a, when there's a certain saying and it proves true, like everybody has a weird uncle. Every time there's a weird uncle, it's just an example and it proves the saying true. That's the idea here in verse 8 because Guys, the gospel is not about us proving ourselves, right? It's, it's all about the Father and his work, what he's already done on our behalf. He's making us new. The story of redemption is all about him. He's the main character. He's the main thing. He is the vine and the vine dresser. He produces the fruit. So it's all from him, through him, to him, and for him. And he gets all the credit and all the glory. So in the in the gospel, in this gospel that is all about God, there's the reality. There, a lot of Bible teachers say the gospel, if you boil it down to one phrase, it's unity with Jesus. We are unified in his life. His perfect life becomes ours on our behalf. He died a death on our behalf. We are unified with him in that. And then we are unified as he raises from the dead. His victory over sin and death becomes our victory because we're united with him. So there's the reality of the gospel. He says, you're clean, you're with me, you're good. But then there's the experience of that reality. We get to enjoy that reality, right? How do we do that? What do we do to enjoy the reality of unity with Jesus? And that brings us to the what. What is it that we do to experience this joy, to experience this unity? It is abiding and bearing fruit. So I'll read verses 4 through 7. It's the meat of this passage here. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Did you know this? Did you know every single human is a disciple of something or someone? We're all following something. We are all connected to a source of some sort. Whether we're aware of it or not, you are a disciple, and we're all producing something. You know, Tommy likes to say we're all full of something. It's because we're all abiding in something, right? And what you're full of, what you produce, reflects what you're abiding in. One Christian uh, author says it this way, we become what we behold. What you look at 
is what you start to look like, right? The Bible actually confirms this. It, it confirms it in many places. One example is Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. It says this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Listen to this. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. If you want to be dumb and mute and, and blind, then follow some, some fake idols. Whatever you behold is what you will become. Another way to say it is you are what you eat. You heard that before? You are what you eat. In fact, I've actually I found a really interesting photographic evidence that proves this is the case. You are what you eat. Check this out. This man, this is actually not me, I promise. This dude, he ate too many bananas. He became a banana. If all you eat is beef and cheese, you will smell like beef and cheese. When all you consume is empty calories, you'll have low energy, right? We know how this works. If all you eat is pizza, you'll just have grease pouring out of your face, right? You know the feeling. It's terrible. But did you know the same is true in a, in a mental or spiritual sense? Let's say all you consume is a certain news station, a news outlet. Then you'll be filled with hardline stances, harsh opinions, and rude reactions to anybody who would ever dare to disagree with you. Let's say all you ever consume is Instagram. You'll always be looking through that filter of comparison and envy. If all you ever consume is TikTok, You'll be sure to have a very, very short attention span, and you will have an endless supply of completely useless dance moves. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> it's because we become what we behold. You are what you eat. So the question is, what are we consuming? What are we feasting our eyes on? Let's check our source. In February of 2013, Residents here at the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles began reporting low water pressure and foul-tasting drinking water throughout the whole building. This hotel is located on Skid Row, which is home of thousands of transients, and this very hotel had been the, the scene of uh, murders and suicides. It has a very dark, checkered past. But in February 2013, after all these reports of low water pressure, bad-tasting water, the hotel decided to investigate, see what was going on, you know, call the plumbers out. And wisely, somebody went to the source. Somebody went up to the roof, and in the water supply tank on top of the hotel, um, tragically, they found the body of a, a young college student. Her name was Eliza Lamb. Uh, she had died a couple days before. Uh, she was visiting L.A. from Canada on a school break. Uh, how she got into the tanks is still a mystery to this day, um, but the truth remains the same. Whatever is at the source, whether it takes a couple of days, a couple of weeks, years maybe, whatever is at the source, it will start to affect what comes out. And the same is true for our lives. Whatever is at the source will affect what comes out. So any source we attach ourselves to other than Jesus himself, I can promise you, you'll start to experience low water pressure. You'll start to have some bad tasting water come out. Only Jesus can sustain us. Only he can produce the beautiful and healthy fruit that God is looking for. So the command in this passage, what do we do to be disciples? The command is to abide. This word means to remain, to dwell, to stay there, to make your home there. When we become disciples of Jesus, as Cliff preached a couple weeks ago, we become citizens of a new kingdom. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So let's make our home there and not here in the shadow kingdom. So maybe discipleship isn't as much about what we do than it is about what or rather who we attach ourselves to. It's about where we make our home. 
And I'll show you how this is the case. Look in verses 5 and 6. Jesus shows us when we abide in something else that is not him, we wither, as verse 6 says. Or in verse 5, it says, "You apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a double negative in the Greek. He's emphasizing you can do absolutely nothing. We need to connect ourselves to the right source. He makes it abundantly clear that we need him to have good water pressure, clean drinking water. Nothing else can produce that. Did you notice this? We are commanded to abide, but we are not commanded to produce fruit in this entire passage. Isn't that interesting? God says, abide in me and I in you. The same is true in Galatians 5. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. In that passage, if you go look over there, the command is not produce love, produce joy. The command is walk by the Spirit. Be in step with our helper, with the Holy Spirit, and he will produce these things in you. Connect yourself to the right source. In verse 7, It shows that when we make our home in Jesus, his words will abide in us. And that's the other command in this passage. So he commands us to abide twice. And then in verse 7, he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a pretty cool command, right? Ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. Well, the reason that is the case is because when we abide in the vine and his words abide in us, they begin to shape us. They begin to conform us more and more to his image. And what our desires and our wants and our wills begin to align with God's. So then we really can ask for whatever we want, and it will happen because whatever we want will be whatever God wants. We will align our wills with his. Now we come to verse 8, the prove it verse. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now hopefully it's clear why taking this verse as a challenge to go out and prove it ourselves, make it happen. It's a fool's errand. Jesus has literally just informed us that we can do absolutely nothing apart from him. We are shown to be his disciples by bearing fruit. And how do we bear fruit? We abide in the vine. So how do we glorify God? What do we do? We make our home in Jesus. And now verse 9. Let's read this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's a beautiful command. Abide in my love. Jesus declares his love for his disciples and then tells them to just sit in it. Stay there. Make your home in my love. Some of us hear that, abide in my love, and we could just sit and chew on that for days. We'll tattoo it on our wrist, put it on a coffee mug. We'll just vibe with it. Just abide in my love. Just abide, brother. We love it. But then some of you are thinking, that sounds really nice. Uh, But what on earth does that mean? How do we actually do that? Maybe you're a more black and white person. You don't just sit and vibe with things. You want to know how it works. Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't leave you hanging. So we experience joy and unity with Jesus through the practice of abiding. We connect ourselves to the right source. But how do we do that? So we've looked at the why. It's joy and security for us. Glory for the Father. What do we do? We abide. And by abiding, we bear fruit. But what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? How do we abide? So that brings us to the how of discipleship. One Christian author says it this way. His name is Justin Earley. He wrote a book on this very topic of What does it look like to actually abide in Jesus on a day-to-day basis? He says this, While the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits was just like everybody else's. And that life had been working for me until it collapsed. Ouch. Do we have uh, Christian decorations in our house, but our Monday through Saturday looks like everybody else? Jesus doesn't just want our Sundays. He wants our Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday, all through the week. One commentator said it like this, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him. And I'm going I'm to warn you here, this takes some effort. 
You heard me right. It takes effort. It takes some intentionality. Here at Grace Life, we champion the fact that we are saved by nothing that we do. We are saved because of what Jesus did for us. Right? But that doesn't mean grace is at odds with effort. It's at odds with relying on those efforts for our salvation, for our worth and our identity. But there is still effort nonetheless. And just in case you don't believe me, a guy named R.C. Sproul, who probably championed justification by grace alone more than anybody, any other modern voice, he says this. The idea is that since we are justified by grace through faith alone, works are utterly inconsequential. So we can kick back, take our ease in Zion, rest on the grace of God, and be utterly worthless for his kingdom. Ouch. That hurts. We must see that while we are justified by faith apart from works, we are justified by faith unto works. It takes a little bit of effort. Not that we rely on our efforts, but we've got to be intentional. Let me read verse 10. So, abide in my love. You say, love it, but I need to know what that looks like. Let's read verse 10. Jesus tells us right away, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we abide in the love of Jesus by obeying God's commands just as Jesus did. We follow his example. We follow the example of Jesus. So the question is, how did Jesus do it? How did he obey? Well, the truth is he was a perfect human being. Something that we never can be on this side of eternity. But the reason he was able to do this is because he was always connected to the source. Because he was the source. He still is the source. That is how he could obey God always. And in his humanity, this is so interesting to me. In his humanity, Jesus needed to practice spiritual habits in order to stay in perfect communion with the Father. And there's evidence through this, of this sprinkled throughout all four Gospels. A couple quick examples. Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus practiced prayer and solitude regularly. He would go off on his own and pray with his Father. It says that Jesus fasted. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and when you fast, not if you fast. He fasted for 40 days out in the wilderness before the temptation from Satan. In Luke chapter 2 and chapter 4, Jesus is shown to be both learning and teaching the word of God. Jesus and his disciples practiced Sabbath, not the way the religious leaders wanted them to. But Jesus showed us the true meaning of Sabbath, that it was made for man. We weren't made for the Sabbath. So if you take all the things Jesus practiced, and if you take thousands of years of, of church tradition, the saints of old, we can see that these spiritual habits can boil down into three categories. This comes from a book. Whoops, wrong slide. Comes from a book, Habits of Grace. Check this out. We can learn to abide by hearing God's voice through his word, having his ear through prayer, and belonging to his body and fellowship. These are the channels through which God has chosen to dispense his grace, whether we like it or not, right? Jesus showed us this. Thousands of years of church traditions show us this. This is how we connect ourselves to the right source. This is how we abide in the vine. So what we're doing on a Sunday morning right now, look, you're, you're further ahead than you thought you were. This is a habit. You are abiding in the vine right now. When you set aside 15 minutes to read the word of God in the morning, you are practicing abiding. If you set aside time to pray, you are abiding in the vine. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to box in our abiding to some 15-minute box in the morning. You know you're allowed to take God's word with you in your heart, you can meditate on it all day. You can be in prayer all throughout the day. You can set alarms on your phone to remind you, abide, check in, where, where's your source? This is an ongoing relationship. We don't just box it into our, our morning coffee each morning. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a great, it's a great to set aside 
a time just to be totally focused on him. But it's an ongoing relationship. It's not just a chore that we do every day. And this is the mind shift that was completely transformative in my life. We don't do these things. We don't read the word and pray and fellowship so that God will love us more. That's not, that's not what this is about, okay? We read and we pray and we fellowship so that we will love God more. That is a subtle but extremely powerful mind shift because he already loves us more than we could ever imagine. And we can never add to his love for us. These things are meant, these are channels so that we can enjoy him more, not so that he can be more pleased with us. But we have to make an effort to sit under his presence, to enjoy his grace. We have to be intentional. A couple weeks ago, Tommy talked about the geckos that live outside of his house. And he, he noticed that they like to hang out around the light fixtures on his porch and outside of his driveway. Why do they do that? That's because they know that's where the flies are going to be. That's know where they, that, they know that's where they get their food. They don't pay the electric bill. They didn't make those lights. They didn't make the flies. But they made an effort to go to the light. Right? Now you could say, yeah, if a gecko is hiding out in a dark bush, he might come across a fly every once in a while. Or if one's slithering through the grass, he might find a bug every once in a while. But the wise ones know to go to the light to get the food, right? This is my challenge to us. Let's stop hiding out in the bushes. Let's stop wandering around in the dark grass of social media and who knows what else. Let's make an effort to get to the light. We don't pay the light bill. We didn't make the lights, but we know where to go to get the food. We have to be intentional. And this is where we'll, we will experience the joy of unity with Jesus. If we want to become the kind of people who obey God, right? He says, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. If we want to be people who obey, we have to connect to the source, and he will shape us into people who have self-control, who have wisdom and patience and the ability to start obeying. It's about becoming a type of person by connecting ourselves to the right source. So let's check our source. With all the information we are constantly inundated with on a daily basis, it's unbelievable. Society is forming us into whoever they want us to be, whether we are aware of it or not. So how do we fight back? This is a uniquely challenging era to be a Christian in. How do we fight back? Well, let me tell you this, it's only through the power of Jesus, right? And we can access that power by regularly practicing simple habits and disciplines. If you are the enemy, think about this. If you are God's enemy and there's the reality of the gospel that you can't do anything about, but then there's the experience and the enjoyment of it, what would your method of attack be if you're the enemy? Well, let's detach God's people from the right source. Let's, let's make them so busy that they can never be intentional. Let's make them so distracted that they can never even care. Let's detach them from the source. But one author says it this way, we can resist through redirection. We redirect our thoughts, our minds, our energy away from those fake vines and towards the true one, the right source. Onto the only source of life and truth. We can experience the joy and security of unity with Jesus through the practice of abiding. So if you're looking for more details on what this could look like on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, please let me know. Let Tommy know. Let your small group leader know. We can put some incredible resources into your hand of, of practical, simple ways to resist through redirection. And I'll close with this. If you don't know Jesus, if you're tired of low water pressure and foul-tasting drinking water, if you feel burnt out by whatever your current source is, if that low-grade anxiety and exhaustion is just your normal level of operation, then let me tell you what Jesus says. He invites you to a new source. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the true vine. So attach yourself to something, or rather someone, 
who can produce life, who can give you rest. Someone who loves you, someone who will make his home in you as you make your home in him. The invitation is why. Social media, family, work, anything, whatever it is, if it isn't Jesus, it cannot sustain you in the long run. So I'll just invite you to admit your need to him. Admit your shortcomings, admit your sins, that you've tried to do it on your own, and it just hasn't worked. And I promise you, he will gladly welcome you into the vine. See, the true vine had to die a death on our behalf because the vines we attach ourselves to, they lead to death. We could never produce the fruit on our own that God was looking for. So the true vine came and he did it for us. And he invites us to unite ourselves to him and experience that joy of the reality of the good news. Jesus did it for us. So put your faith and your trust in him instead of the beef and cheese vine. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your promises that that you have just washed this passage with security and joy so that we don't have to feel an overwhelming burden to just do everything on our own. You've already done it for us, Lord. So I pray that every single person in here who is a follower of you, who has put their faith and trust in you, that they would begin experiencing that joy anew, in a new and fresh way, through the simple practice of abiding and just spending time with you. God, shower your love on us, Lord. I pray that you would be the one, the thing that shapes us more than anything or anyone else. We are yours. This world is yours. The kingdom, the glory, and the power are all yours, Lord. And for anyone here who does not yet know you, God, may they see that the invitation is wide open. They don't have to prove anything. They just lay down their life for you. They say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. Thank you for doing it for me. God, bring repentance and faith here to every single one of us, Lord. We love you, and we praise you, and it's all in your name. Amen. We're going to uh, sing what we call a Selah song. It's just a time of quiet reflection and prayer. Um, you're welcome to sing. You're welcome to, to just sit and reflect. Um, man, hopefully we can just realize that God is with us. I mean, what an amazing truth. What a life-shaping truth. God is with you right here, right now. So feel free to just reflect on that. And think on that. There, there'll be a prayer team in the bra- in the back. If anybody needs prayer about anything specific, or maybe you just have questions about what you've just heard, feel free to visit somebody in the back. They will pray over you and pray with you. Um, but let's sing together. Thank you, Matt, for that. Anyone else convicted this morning, or is it just me? All right, I guess I'm the only one. That's okay. It's just amazing when we Im- abide. Lord, we can say it is well with our soul. What a beautiful truth that is. When peace like a river ascendeth my way, when sorrows Satan should not take the 
some abiding going on right there, wasn't it? Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Pastor Matt. And thanks for pointing out the abiding that happens right here as we fellowship together. A few announcements this morning. Community groups, the schedule gets a little funky around the holidays. Um, so connect with each other. Connect with your community group leaders. Some are meeting this week. Some are not. And, you know, there's that holiday week between Christmas and New Year's which is the fifth Wednesday. So our church has kind of a tradition, something that we hold pretty dear. On the fifth Wednesday, every time there's a month that has five Wednesdays, we have a prayer gathering instead of small groups. And it's just, you know, the Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's. So it's going to look a little bit different. And we're going to have more info for you in the, the next coming weeks. But that Wednesday, December 29th, we're probably going to gather like in groups of ones and twos, whoever you can grab, and uh, we'll talk more about that, but we're not going to have a, a church-wide prayer gathering that fifth Wednesday. Um, in the lobby, we still have the Grace Life Giving Tree, 
It's an opportunity for us to reach out to our community here on this campus of Deltona High School students. And um, you've heard information about that, but we're, we're running out of time. So if you're going to give and, and bless some of the students here, make sure you go ahead and grab that. I think there's another announcement slide. Yes, the blog. Thank you, Craig, for uh, pointing that out earlier. It's really insightful and helpful, and it's kind of a good uh, spiritual kick in the pants reminder throughout the week. So make sure you check out our blog, share it with other people. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, I, I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but there's just a devastating swath of tornadoes that hit a part of our country um, a few days ago. Kentucky, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois. Um, it's possible they're not positive yet. It's possible that there maybe even was an F5 included in that group. Uh, over 220 mile length of tornadoes that swept through, which is almost exactly the number of miles between here and Miami. So you think about that kind of a distance of devastation. In Kentucky alone, they're afraid there's more than 100 people dead. Um, entire towns that have been flattened and destroyed. So we're going to pray in a second um, for our fellow brothers and sisters, for people who don't know Christ in those areas. We also have a team of people who are going up there. Um, Steve and some others are, are leaving today, maybe even already left today. Um, so we're going to pray. Samaritan's Purse is already there on the ground, and, and they're going up this week to try to help set up kind of base camp and start ministering to those people, praying with them, evangelizing first and foremost, um, trying to help spread the glory of God in a terrible situation like this. But I want to send them off with um, our love and support and with prayer that God would intervene in the lives of so many people that have been touched there. So let's stand together and we'll pray before we do our charge. Father God, we, we know mentally, spiritually, we know from your word that you are the author of creation, that nothing happens that is outside of your knowledge, that is not, si not that is outside of your allowing to happen. And we, we don't always, we rarely understand things like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes, the things that are so far outside of our power. Lord, we're thankful that they are well within your power. And we're thankful that your scripture tells us that these things happen, these things are allowed as a means to reveal your glory, as a means ultimately to bring people to Christ. And I know that you will make that happen with this tragedy. And I know there will be lots and lots of people who have a hard time seeing it, who have a hard time not getting angry with you for allowing it. There are a lot of people right now this morning that have no idea what life looks like tomorrow. They've lost people. They've lost their homes. They've lost their businesses. They've lost their jobs. So, Father, I ask that you would please come down on those areas, those states. Father, please pour out your spirit in the hearts and minds of those people who are suffering. Father, I lift up Samaritan's Purse and the leadership of that organization, the Red Cross and the others that are going to be involved, but I don't know that there's any that have such a passion for evangelism in the midst of these things as Samaritan's Purse does. Lord, I pray that you would bless their efforts, that you would supernaturally provide the support for all the ministries that they're doing. Lord, I pray for Steve and I pray for the people that we're sending that are on the road today. God, please fill them with wisdom, with insight, with discernment. God, give them the ability to see into people and see how they can minister, how they can 
share the love of Jesus with so many that are hurting. Now, every time Steve comes back, he has stories of ways that you showed up. And I thank you for that. Give them everything they need to be effective ministers of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's do our charge, and we'll be dismissed. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.